0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 1st, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Most people have no idea how much land the federal government owns or how that land is regularly put to use. So when a president uses powers expressly given to him in order to remove or create special protections, it raises the question should the president really have that power? Jonathan Wood is with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We spoke last month in Phoenix. As we record this, it was about two years ago that the president removed certain uh, protections uh, that had been granted previously to federal lands, and he did this under a pretty straightforward logic uh, provided by the Antiquities Act. And this had a lot of uh, environmentalists in particular up in arms because it would allow multiple different kinds of uses of these federal lands. And uh, as I told friends uh, at the time, I suspect that a lot of people now are learning for the first time that it's uh, legal in most cases on federal lands to make extractive use of those lands for grazing, for ranching, for timber harvesting and that sort of thing. So uh, describe what the Antiquities Act does and what power that confers to the president.
1: Sure. I think you're exactly right. Most people have no idea just how much land the federal government owns and how it's used. Most of us think of the national parks and the places we might visit on family vacation, but most of the federal land is an area you would never think to go and is used for things like mining, drilling, and and grazing. The Antiquities Act is a statute enacted in 1906 that gives the president the power to declare national monuments. And at the time, Congress thought it was giving the president a pretty narrow power to protect antiquities. That's why the, the word is in the name of the statute. And it was enacted in response to looting of Indian historical sites. So the idea was this is going to be how we protect uh, cliff dwellings and, and other sacred sites of Native American antiquities. Um, unfortunately, over the last 113 years, presidents have significantly extended their power into that statute in all directions so that now the president declares that a st- Essentially, anything he wants to be an object uh, covered by the Antiquities Act can be covered. He can set the boundaries of a national monuments however he wants, and he can regulate essentially wherever he wants uh, without giving notice or an opportunity to comment for any of the people that are actually affected by these decisions. So you've millions of acres being designated at a time and taken out of productive use affecting local communities and they don't know what's happening or get an opportunity to have a say. And uh, that could po- cause a problem both ways, frankly. Exactly. Right? I mean, so it could cause a problem
0: in either removing a designation or creating a designation.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, one of the ironies is that the criticisms of what President Trump did uh, that environmentalists and and conservation outdoor recreation groups have been making are precisely the criticisms that federal land users and local communities have been making for decades. That it is unfair and wrong for one person to have this unconstrained power to just wake up one morning and sign his name to a piece of paper and that decides how millions of acres at a time will be used the constitution says congress is supposed to do that and we as the the american people are supposed to have a say but we don't Um, and you know that's really at the heart of the, the problem it's not a should we be conserving areas should we not be conserving areas it's should the president have this kind of power when the federal government owns so much land
0: to the extent that ranchers and uh, timber harvesters and uh, people who are making agricultural use of, of that land, uh, they're not really paying the full freight of making use of that land, though. Uh, I mean, it's fair to say that if a, if a designation is imposed, uh,
1: in some ways you're getting rid of a subsidy to them. Is that right? I think that's right. But you're probably just creating a subsidy for someone else. I mean, uh, fixing federal land policy is a big, big thing. It's not just the Antiquities Act by any measure. So uh, the answer to what do we do? I think there's a short term and there's a long term answer to that in the short term. Uh, The Antiquities Act could be reformed to give Congress and states and the American people more influence on how federal lands are managed, that there's just something fundamentally wrong with giving one person unconstrained power to control millions of acres. That's just too broad a power. And our founding fathers would have never thought it's okay to give one person that kind of control over the country. But in the long term, we absolutely need a more free market approach to the way these federal lands are used. If the federal government's going to own them, then decisions about how they're used need to be decided based on the market. So if grazing is the highest used, have grazers outbid miners and re- outdoor recreation groups and conservationists for the rights, and that's generally not possible today.
0: Okay, so what prevent what prevents that from Occurring, I know. I know that ranchers and, and people who are grazing cattle and that sort of thing on uh, federal lands, they are getting a sweetheart deal. But what's mm-hmm. the what's the impediment to getting them to pay what otherwise would be a market rate for the uses of those lands?
1: Uh, So mostly it's just the lack of any means to identify the price. Uh, Generally, anyone who uses federal land is getting a sweetheart deal. So if you're grazing, you're getting a sweetheart deal. If you're mining, you're getting a sweetheart deal. And those of us that visit national parks are getting a sweetheart deal. We're not paying for those either.
0: I was in Acadia National Forest Mm -hmm. uh, a while back, and I thought there are too many people here <laughs> and mm-hmm. i thought i took my family there and it was it's beautiful and serene and there are too many people there and i thought boy i really would be willing to pay a lot more Have fewer people here.
1: Mm -hmm. But you generally don't have that option. We don't price uses of federal lands the way a private landowner would, to maximize the experience and get the most value. Instead, it is essentially a way to try to subsidize all sorts of special interest groups. And ultimately, to fix the problem, you've got to get rid of that. That these aren't these shouldn't be political decisions. That the federal government should manage its land the same way a private landowner would. If grazing is the best way, Let the grazers outbid everyone else. If it's for conservation or recreation, give them an option too. And that's what's really missing. So right now, the federal government says this area is available for grazing. A conservation group that says actually it's really important for this fish or bird has no option to outbid the rancher and say we want to protect this land and we're willing to put our money on the line to do
0: it. And uh, as I've spoken with Sean Regan about this Mm -hmm. exact topic uh, with respect to – conservationists essentially outbidding agricultural users of the land and uh to the extent that they're uh prohibited from doing that there are some practical issues with that right for if you want to conserve land rather than log it there has to be some sort of mechanism I mean loggers will extract mm-hmm. uh timber from the land in, in accordance with you know whatever rules govern that but conservationists no right
1: that's right and that and, might and so happen. there's some
0: practical app- problems with making that change.
1: And that might have impacts on surrounding communities, so it might increase fire risk. Uh, States have done work to try to solve this problem because they have trust lands that have to be Uh, used in different ways. And they allow some states allow this bidding between conservation groups and and loggers and and grazers. And so they've said, okay, well, conservation, you know, these are the additional costs we're going to face if we allow the conservation group to bid it. So we're going to adjust the price accordingly. There are ways to do that, but it's absolutely essential that everyone be able to get involved in the bidding. If you don't allow that, what you do is you have what we have now. These decisions are made politically, and there's an incentive to go to Congress or the White House or an executive agency and say, "This is what I want. I don't want to pay for it, but just give me it and screw over the other people And you know that's just fundamentally wrong, but that's what we have
0: i there is I think a pretty common view uh, that I may have expressed here before, but there's a pretty common view that recreating on federal lands does not stress the land in the same ways that uh, these extractive uses do.
1: And maybe not the same ways, but it absolutely does stress federal lands and affects the way that we use federal. You mentioned uh, being up at Acadia that there was too many people for you to enjoy it. I went to Yellowstone last year and had a similar experience that if you wanted to see all the places you traveled thousands of miles to see, you had to wait in a really long line and try to like, you know, stand over someone and peer over their shoulder because just everyone and their mother was there. Um, But it also has environmental consequences. I mean, recreationists trammel on areas that previously were untrammeled. There, The National Park Service, for instance, has areas that it keeps secret so that recreationists don't go there because they're concerned that the introduction of people and the invasive species they bring and the other impacts they would have, whether backpackers, kayakers, whatever, uh, would significantly change the environment. Yeah,
0: there's, a, but the the other assumption I think that a lot of people make is that recreation ought to be just completely free.
1: That's exactly right. But, uh, you know, the of course, the irony there is If it's completely free, who's going to provide it? That making these lands available, managing these lands so that you actually want to recreate on them is extremely expensive. We have billions of dollars in a maintenance backlog for our national parks because recreationists and other public land users aren't paying the price they should in order to enjoy the benefits that they want.
0: So fixing the Antiquities Act, um, other than, of course, simply declaring that All federal lands now belong to the states in which those lands exist.
1: Uh, What would that look like? Uh, I think we actually do have a model. I wrote a report for the Center for Growth and Opportunity at Utah State University earlier this year looking at past reforms and how they can be a model. So right now it is illegal for the president to designate a national monument in Wyoming or to designate a monument larger than 5,000 acres in Alaska. And both of those reforms have generally worked, as I would have expected. Congress has been far more active in deciding how federal lands are used in those two states, which gives states a lot more influence. If you're a state representative or just a local resident, you can actually reach your member of Congress. You're not going to get a meeting with the president. So if he alone is making these decisions, you're locked out in a way that you aren't when Congress takes seriously its constitutional obligation to make these decisions. Now,
0: with respect specifically to fire risk, Mm -hmm. I know that when uh, the the land is designated as a national monument, that uh, a lot of the extractive uses simply are phased out. Um, What does that do to fire risk, to fuels on the ground um, that we definitely don't want to to be there Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes time to uh, you know, deal with wildfires
1: in in these areas. It increases risks that we're seeing on all sorts of federal land. Uh, timber harvesting has been reduced substantially in recent decades, and there's been nothing else done to fill the gap. So we've got a huge increase in the amount of fuels on federal land, including national forest lands, and no mechanism for the government to actually go out. And, and do something about it. The Forest Service is affecting, has a decades-long backlog of projects it wants to do to reduce fire risks in areas that are going to have significant effects on human populations and, and drinking water sources, but it just doesn't have the money, and there's no means for anyone else to help contribute that. So one of the things that I know PERC, the Property Environment Research Center, has been looking at is how do we make it so that local communities and businesses and conservation groups can have more opportunities to go into the forest and say, you know, we really wanna protect this habitat for a wolverine or protect this stream or our drinking water supply, and we're willing to pay to do the forest management, that's an opportunity that doesn't generally exist today except for in a few, you know, experiments that have been allowed, but it's not generally open season for people to go into federal lands and manage them appropriately.
0: Jonathan Wood is an attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We spoke last month in Phoenix. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.